Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him to us. And Lord, we thank you that you are our healer. We're so grateful. Be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'll get there in just a second. <clears throat> but in Acts chapter 1, and this has been what we've gone through. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I don't know about you, but I know when I found Jesus, I didn't look like him. I didn't act like him. I didn't think like him. I didn't speak like him. And I was desperate when I gave my life to Jesus because I knew me. Brian, can we turn me down just a hair? I, there's like an echo or something. I knew me. I knew what was inside of me, and it wasn't good. And so I knew that I needed Jesus. And then I endeavored to become more and more like him. And to become more and more like him means that we have to know the love that he has for us. And, you know, we've been going over that. We've been sharing that. And um, we have to know that we have to know his love for us. Last week, we talked about staying in our lanes um, because we know God loves us. And he didn't make a mistake. When he made us, he made us exactly how we are supposed to be. And and what I'm talking about, that is male and female. There's only two genders in God's kingdom. <laughs> Just two. So. Um, and he did this when he created us in our mother's womb. God is not confused. The world may be confused, but God is not confused. And if you will stay true to his word, you won't be confused either. You will know exactly who you are. The greatest, most enjoyable life we will ever live is to live as God created us. Staying not only within those boundaries, male and female, but also the other boundaries that God has established in his word, because that's not just the only one. But Jesus did exactly that. And yet he was tempted to move away from God's design for his life. But he didn't. He stayed the course. He stayed true to what the father told him his job was, what his responsibility, what his purpose was. He stayed true to that. Because of that, we're better off for it. In John chapter 13, we looked at part of this last week, verse 3. And it says this. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so he knew that, and he knew this, knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God. So we have to know this. We have to get this in our hearts and minds. And then because of that, this is what he was able to do. Verse 4, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so we shared that he stooped to the lowest form of servanthood, but he was able to do that because he knew who he, who he was. He knew the love of the Father for him, and he stayed within the boundaries that God had for him. 
We have to know that God loves us in order to be transformed. The greater the measure of love that you know that you have for the Father, the greater transformation is going to take place in your life. Because the greater the love that you know the, the Father has for you in His love, the more you're going to want to love Him back. We sing that song, you know. The more I find you, the more I love you. And that's just the way it is. We will limit the transformation in our life by limiting our understanding of the love that He has for us. And, and I'm not trying to be like, I'm not crazy. I know that we're never going to exhaust the love of God. But while we're down here, you're not going to understand it all. But this is what you have to learn to do. Enjoy it. I mean, there are days when you have to realize you and me are alike. We don't understand why God loves us, but he does. We have no clue why he would want to love us, but he does. We have to come to the place where we rest in that. Okay? And when we know that God loves us, nothing else really matters. And the dysfunction of this world happened when Adam, mankind's representative, sinned by disobeying God and his word. And Jesus, the last Adam, was mankind's representative as well. And he came and undid what Adam lost, restoring to us a right relationship with God through his obedience to the Father. Okay, one disobedience and one obedience. And when Adam fell, he got off seeing and thinking spiritually. Because remember, before the fall, it says that they were naked, not ashamed. But after the fall, not only were they naked, but then they were afraid and they hid themselves from God. And so they started seeing things in the natural versus seeing things spiritually. And Jesus has come that to restore our spiritual eyes and understanding. And last week we looked at where God established what a biblical marriage looks like, male and female, created by God. And, and, and they give themselves to one another. And it's the principle first mentioned in the Scripture. And just a side note, and I didn't share this last week, but just a side note. When the Pharisees came to Jesus, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 19, and asked him a question about divorce, Jesus went back to Genesis chapter 2 first. Not 2-1, but he went back to Genesis 2. The same scriptures we looked at last week. And Jesus defined marriage and reiterated, this is what the Father had in mind. Then he goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and defines gender as male and female. Okay? He doesn't really have to even look at um, the divorce part first. He does get to it, but the first thing that he does is redefine what marriage is according to God. And that's something that we need to have. We need to know that. And so, as a church, we have to stay true to God's definition, His establishment of marriage and family. And after the fall, the world is determined to redefine marriage as anything goes. And this has given way to transgenderism and the confusion that transgenderism brings. And this morning, I, I just want to share with you some things and then at the end, we're believing God to bring healing to us because we need it. 
when we step out of the boundaries that God has set and we start defining things, we define things according to our feelings. Okay? Now, when the enemy came to Adam, they were in complete perfection, right? But he got them to feel inadequate. He got them to feel like God was betraying them. He got them to feel like God really didn't know what he was doing when he made you. And when we come to that place where we're not true to God's word and we start living according to our feelings and anything goes, then we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Before the fall, all they knew was good. After the fall, they knew good and evil. Now, if you have your preference, wouldn't you rather just have good nowadays? But the same truth applies to us today. We have a choice every day how we're going to choose to live. Are we going to choose to live according to God's word or are we going to choose to live according to our feelings? And whichever one we choose is going to depend on what kind of life that we have. That's the question that they had to answer before the fall and that's the question we have to answer after the fall. Are we going to stay true to God's word or are we going to give in to our feelings? And if you haven't figured this out, our feelings are always changing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to, we're going to begin to work through this. And I want us to see the detriment of us walking according to our feelings. Okay. I want to share what happens when we do not live according to God's word and what happens to us when we don't. The first thing that we need to understand is when we walk according to our feelings and not according to God's word, then we begin to walk according to our own understanding, what we see in the natural. And we choose not to see the spiritual side of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, it says this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul is describing the choice that we have to how we're going to look at life. Are we going to look at life in the natural or are we going to look at life with spiritual eyes? And if you're going to look at life in the natural, you're going to look at things, what you can see, what, you, what your mind can understand. But he said those things are transient. Or we're going to look at life through the eyes of God, through spiritual eyes, and we're going to look at things that are unseen. 
Now, if things are unseen, that means, Paul says, that means that they're eternal. That means they're godly. They're from God. And so every day we have a choice. How are we going to live our life? When you're going through a battle, when you're going through a struggle, you're going to have to face that. You're going to have to decide, am I going to see this through the natural or am I going to see this through the spiritual? Am I going to see it as things are changing in my life and I'm going to get all upset and bent out of shape? Or am I going to stay calm and be at peace because I'm trusting God? In the NIV, verse 18 reads like this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. And so the words, um, as we look, and that's in the ESV, verse 18, or so we fix our eyes in the NIV, comes from the word scopio. And it comes from the word that means to mark or goal or to spy. And it means to look towards an object, contemplate, give attention to, focus upon. So we have to ask ourselves then, what are we to look forward to? What are we to contemplate? What are we to give our attention to and focus on? And Paul is telling us, he says, we don't set them on the things that are seen. We set all of that on the things that are unseen. Because he says, so we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Because the seen is temporal, the unseen is eternal. And so Paul is trying to get us to see that we have to set our minds. It's our responsibility to set our minds, to set our eyes on the things that are unseen. When he tells us not to look at the things that are seen, he's telling us not to do it because they're transient. They're temporary. They're changing. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Do you remember years ago we had the battle of whether we were going to allow homosexuality to be married. Now we're looking at transgenderism. Now you're looking at all kind of stuff. I'm here to tell you, things change in this world. God remains the same. His word remains the same. The enemy's job is to get us off the truth of God's word and onto our feelings. I mean, they should have been secure in God and what he had said. But the enemy came to him, came to Adam and got him to doubt God's goodness based on his feelings. It wasn't based on truth. It was based on his feelings. He kept gnawing at his feelings. Okay? So the enemy's job is to get us to lose the awe of God, our reverence for God, and exchange it for fear of God and being afraid of God. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. There was an awe of God, but then when they fell, and then when God came, there was that awe, but that awe... Instead of creating that reverence, it created fear and they were afraid. And that's what the enemy wants to do in our lives as well. And when they lost that awe and that reverence of God, then they had to walk in pride because now they were in control of their lives. And instead of being dependent on 
God and of God. They exchanged it for being fearful and afraid of God and hiding from Him and eventually kicking up their pride to where we see it nowadays running rampant. The end game of the enemy has always been for our feelings to be elevated to a new level of pride. And sad to say, he's winning. When we seek to live according to our feelings and not according to God's word, and we elevate our feelings to where they shouldn't be, we can only do that by walking in pride. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. So just from here on out, I'm not. So just relax. Okay. But this is some of the things that pride says. And this first part, like we don't really say it, but we live it like this. So we are saying it, but I'm just bringing it to your attention. Okay. Pride says, I am God. And I am going to control my life now. Because God, you haven't done for me what I thought and think you should do. And because you haven't done what I think you should do for my life. In my control, I am going to fix it. Pride says that I can forsake the boundaries of God for my life and I will determine what I am going to do based on how I feel. And when we do that, we are beginning to walk in opposition to God and His Word and His ways. And when, <coughs> excuse me, when we elevate our feelings, we elevate other sins as well. It's not like you just do one sin. It's not like you just elevate one sin. You remove yourself from God and His boundaries and His protection and you engage in one sin. I'm here to tell you, that's not the only sin you're going to get involved in. It is going to be much easier for you now to get involved in other things. And so it's important that we understand this. And eventually, because we're walking in pride and we're God and we're able to engage in sin and that sin is increasing, it gets to a level of rebellion. I'm going to give you an example from nowadays. Homosexuality gave rise to transgenderism. Transgenderism has given rise to drag queens and drag queens in public libraries and in public schools. I don't know if you've been privileged to see what happens in these drag queen videos that 
have been out there. They're pornographic. And we are exposing kids to this because of the pride of this world. And I'm here to tell you that the world is in opposition to God and His Word. We have looked at that before, so I'm not bringing that up this morning. And I want you to think about this. When we limited abortions in America and took it back to the States, it was like the enemy said, okay, look, I can't kill them in the womb, so I'm going to kill them outside of the womb. And he is hell-bent because his job, according to what Jesus says, is to steal, kill, and destroy. If that's the case, then if he can't get them in the womb, then he's trying to destroy them and their destiny, their God-given identity outside of the womb through all of this crazy stuff that is going on that isn't of God. And I'm going to prove to you that it's not of God just because of the way God loves. All right? What we're seeing is so contrary to the Word of God. And as parents, as churches, we are to protect kids from the evil of this world. And all we're doing is allowing them to be exposed to it. Let me preference this. I wasn't planning on preaching this this morning. After last week, my mind was already going on to the next message. Okay? And then on Sunday night, God started downloading this stuff to me. And then on Monday, all day Monday and all day Tuesday, I'm like, Man, and so I'm, I'm writing notes at work. Terry's not here, so it's okay. I'm writing down the things that God is telling me, and on Wednesday I'm feeling this. I share a little bit with Diana, and then we had a leadership meeting Wednesday night, and, and at prayer, we weren't able to be at prayer the Saturday before, so not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before, because Noah's parents were in town, and we were filling up our stomachs instead of praying, so. Just so you know. Priorities. It was a long day. But anyways, so at prayer, they were sensing that God was wanting to bring healing to our hearts, and especially for those who have been traumatized. And so I'm sitting here thinking about all of this, and, I, and, and then I get this news, and I'm like, okay, this all makes sense now. And so that's why I have to bring this, because I believe that God wants to touch us in a mighty way. And so one of the scriptures that I was dealing with, because as I'm thinking about all this, is Romans chapter 16. I hope you're there. I gave you enough time to get there. Verse 19. He says in Romans 16, 19, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be, listen to this, Wise as to what is good. So we're to be wise as to what is good, but he says this, and innocent as to what is evil. Now he's writing this to believers, older believers, but I'm telling you, this is true for children as well. Because God gives children parents because children don't know the ways of this world. They don't know how to think. 
And that's why God gives them parents, because parents are supposed to lead them and protect them. And to protect them from evil. To keep them innocent from evil. That's why it's so important that parents, you know what your kids are watching. You know what they're listening to. Keep them from evil. And then verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm knowing it, but then let me read to you the verses before this. Okay, the two verses before this. Verse 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Wow. So maybe you need to get some new friends. And then he says this in verse 18. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I'm telling you, this is a strong way of living. These are boundaries that God is setting. And then he goes in and tells us to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. We're not to allow our kids to see everything, to hear everything. And I'm just here to say this. If we have any kind of decency in us, we should be opposing any form of drag queen assemblies no matter where they're at. I don't care if they're in the public library, in the schools, you know, in the bars. I guess when you're at a certain age, if you want to be that crazy, go ahead and do it. But they shouldn't be in the schools. They shouldn't be going before these kids. I have seen some of the videos. They're pornographic, what these people are doing to these kids. And if Romans doesn't bother you, then maybe Matthew chapter 18 will. Verse 5. Matthew 18, 5. Matthew 18, 5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's some pretty harsh words. That's pretty demanding. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, please. We should not stand with the ways of the world, especially towards the innocence of children and protecting them from evil. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Luke 17, 1. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one who th through whom they come. I hope that resonates with you. Those are some pretty strong words. Let me read it again. Luke 17, 1. And he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And then verse 2. 
It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. God takes this very seriously. And then he says this in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in that day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So God has a standard. And I'm here to tell you that it's a good standard and we need to make sure that we're walking in step with his standards. Hear me on this. Just because the world is walking around falling doesn't mean God's word and his ways are falling also. When we live outside of God's word, we have to find a new identity. And that new identity is going to be contrary to the word of God to the ways of God because it comes from the world and the world is contrary to God, His Word, and His ways. It's that simple, but for some reason we struggle with it. I have told you that when we live by our feelings, we walk in pride, taking control of our lives, and we are playing God. Now I'm going to tell you why we do it. We take control of our life. We begin to play God and we walk in pride and outside of his things. We do all of that. Because we are mad and angry at God. And you say to yourself, well, Pastor, I'm not angry at God. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And I'm sharing this out of 32 years of experience in the ministry. I have seen people angry at God and take their anger out on God. By rejecting the truth of his word. Because they have been so hurt. Or so abused in life. When they were young. Now. Sometimes the abuse happens when you're older. But I want you to know it usually happens when you're young. And when you have been hurt and abused. By somebody who you thought was going to help you and protect you, and you could trust them, then that does something on the inside of us. And what we're seeing in the world with everything that is going on, I'm telling you, is they're angry at God, not because he's just or he's right. It's because they've been hurt. And most likely, they've been abused. They have a broken heart. And we're seeing the 
symptoms of that broken heart. And what they've done is they have united with other broken hearts like that, and they've developed their own community to where they're now they're celebrating their broken hearts rather than giving themselves to God and allowing Him to heal them. We talked about what it's like when you're in pride and when you take control of your life. Now I'm going to tell you how it works, what you say because you're hurt or you've been abused when you were young. Now, I'm here to tell you that when I was growing up, to my knowledge, I have never been abused. Okay, sexually, physically. uh, I'm sure we all have it emotionally at times from our parents because our parents are human and they've fallen. They, you know, so I mean, they're not perfect either. But I, I haven't experienced some of the things that some of you have experienced in here. But I have also seen enough and heard enough and helped people who have experienced what you have probably experienced. But here's what happens when we're abused and we're hurt when we were young. We begin to say this. And we don't always like verbalize it, but we we say it from our actions. Because it's in our hearts and our hearts begin to speak it through our actions. And here's what our mindset is. God, if you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened to me. So if you've ever said that, then you know. God, it is your fault this happened to me, and I am mad, I'm angry at you, and I'm going to show you no one is ever going to hurt me again, including you. Now, we will put up those protective walls, and we'll put them up against people, but we'll also put them up against God. We'll put those walls up against God and we won't allow God in either because we're not sure that we can trust him. And so we're going to put that wall up when we put it around the people around us. We also put it up around God. And so then we are left to live according to our feelings and become whatever we think is going to ease the pain for us. And so then we enter into addictions of all sorts. We enter into self-mutilation. There's all kinds of things that we do trying to relieve the pain from us. But the real pain never subsides because the real pain is never admitted to. But God gives us a way out, a way to heal, a way to cause the pain to be released from our hands. And it's a free gift that God gives us. And I, I'm going to share it, and I know that when I share this, if I'm talking about you this morning, you're probably going to get a little mad at me, and I want you to know it's okay. It's all right. But God has given us a way out, and the way out is through confession and repentance and forgiveness. We're never going to get full help. We're never going to have our hearts healed if we don't first confess that we're angry at God, that we're upset with Him. But then it also is going to go on to the other people. And we have to confess that, we have to repent of it, and then we have to ask God to forgive us. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to forgive you. And when you do that towards other people, 
when, when, when you forgive them, I'm, I'm here to tell you, forgiveness isn't for them. Forgiveness is for us. It's to set us free. It doesn't set them free. It sets us free. But we have to be willing to engage in it. But it's so hard when we've been so hurt. But we have to. That is how we find the healing and the freedom that God wants to give us. In Ephesians chapter 2. We're almost done. And then we're going to pray. Um, I'm going to read just a little part of Ephesians chapter 2, but I would really encourage you, type it up, buy an old Bible and cut it out, paste it on your mirror, paste it on your refrigerator, do something where you're going to see it every day. Man, you should live in Ephesians chapter 2. It's such a great chapter. But he says this, starting in verse 4. I would love to read it all, but we can't. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy. And why is he rich in mercy? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, with Christ. And seated us with Him, Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You see, God wants to unveil. He wants to pour out His kindness upon our hearts and in our minds. He wants to let that be the, the balm that comes and brings healing and restoration to our lives. Because He knows we need it. And then we know the one in Romans chapter 8. You know, I don't know of any believer who doesn't know this one, but, you know, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so I want to tell you, now, I don't know the answer to it all, but I want to tell you that if you've been abused, if you, whatever you've experienced, whatever the hurt and the pain is, if you will give it to God, I'm telling you, you will become a light to somebody else. You can help somebody else. But you've got to be able to stand with Romans 8.28. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 45, please. We're going to look at these last two. They're both in Genesis. First one is in chapter 45. And it's the story of um, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. And his brothers sold him into slavery. I'm not going to go into the story, but for it was either 13 or 17 years, he was... He lived a life of hell. I mean, everything that he did, he was doing it for the glory of God and he just kept getting slammed harder and harder. Finally, he's out and he, there's a famine in the land, seven years of famine. God gave him the understanding to Pharaoh's dream and so Pharaoh put him in office. His family, his brothers, his dad are coming and to Egypt 
In verse 45, we have the revelation of Joseph to his brothers. They told his dad that, they, that an animal had killed him. He had the coat of many colors, remember? So his dad's thinking there's dead, but they sold him into slavery. Okay, and through that, he had different things until he got to Egypt. God knows what he's doing. But Joseph had a difficult life, man, to get to where God wanted him to be. But this is what happens in Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. Listen to this now, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Man, can I'm telling you, Joseph had walked through. This is talking about being a witness for God. Joseph walked through hell to become transformed and become that witness for God. And now he's at his brothers and his brothers still can't figure this out. They still don't believe. But notice how he says this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This man has had a change. He's had a transformation that has happened in his life. Now listen to this, verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for, to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me, but God. Woo! Isn't that awesome? What would happen if we would have that mindset? If we would trust God so much that even in our hurt and pain, we can go to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I'm angry with you. I'm sorry that I blamed you because it wasn't God's fault that you were abused. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not God. We're going to see that in a minute, but I just want to remind you. Let's continue verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made for me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all of Egypt. And so they go get his dad. His dad dies. Okay. And then he's going to bury him. They give, he goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, my dad wants to be buried in this place. Can I go? And they go. All of his family. Then they come back. Now his brothers are still thinking he hasn't been transformed. He hasn't been with Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, when you're in the dungeon like Joseph was, you get to know God really well. So Genesis 50, verse 15. <coughs> Genesis 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, 
please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin. Because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. And in response to that, it says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He wept because he had a heart of God because they still didn't understand. They still didn't trust him. Joseph wept. Verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Here it is in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I don't know what you faced when you were young or even maybe when you were older. But I know one thing. God loves you. He loves us. And He wants us whole. And the proof of that is that He sent Jesus Christ for us to bring healing and wholeness and freedom, true godly freedom that really causes us to be free. And so I want to ask you this morning, will you open up your hearts and allow him to do just that for us, bring healing to us, bring wholeness to us? Will you, and this is really what I'm asking, allow God to love you? And will you take a step of faith and begin to trust God's love and his word and his ways? In John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says this in verse 11, which we don't always read, but here it is this morning. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Brian, can you put that music on? And then in Luke 4, 18. Sorry, I'm asking you to do two things at once. <laughs> Luke 4, 18. Let me just remind you of this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all, of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know how to do this because I don't know how willing you are to take the steps.
we're going to pray and then I guess we'll have some prayer team come up here so that you can come if you want to. There's somebody who is always going to say the wrong thing about you. You know, they're going to tell you something. If they don't, if you're not abused when you're younger, then, you know, as you live life, maybe a teacher is going to be having a bad day and they're going to say something about you and you're going to believe them for the rest of your life. Or maybe it's an uncle or an aunt. Or maybe it's a boss. And you have to decide what you're going to do with all of that. I had two bosses that told me at the beginning, you know, afterwards, after I was successful, they told me, they said, we never thought you were going to make it. I thought, wow, that's great. Shows that it wasn't me. But things happen in life. And I want you to know that God's here to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring health to our heart. Because if we don't receive it, you know, maybe you were abandoned when you were young. I mean, I don't know all of your stories. But I know three of you were abandoned. That, that has a toll on you. Four. I just realized the fourth. And that's just what I know. You know... Two Saturdays ago, they were praying and they're believing that God wants to bring healing to us for the hurts, for the trauma that we've experienced. So get some oil and just spread yourself out. Get some oil. I'm going to pray a general prayer, but if you would like to come up and have them pray with you, that's fine. But one of the things in this prayer is um, I'm, I'm not going to say it, but you're going to have to say it when you go home today or sometime. Maybe you ought to do it before lunch. You just ask God to forgive you. Confess and repent. Say, God, you know what? I haven't treated you right. I've held you in contempt, and it's not your fault. You have anything to say before we pray? Anybody? who I am and by some things that I've shared in my past. But some of you wouldn't know a lot of things. And a lot of you would know that I just was in touch last Thursday night with a man who's supposed to be my father. 
and it's been 30 years since I've talked to him. Um, I grew up in life and death situations, lots of abuse, different kinds of abuse. Can you tell that by my life now? I still have, once in a while, there's a day that will hit me, and it's like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I'm not that person. Um, because it's familiar, and we, we don't recognize the familiar things that need to be removed from us because we're familiar with it. And the Lord says, who are you? I'm a child of king. And it took a long time for God to do that. So this is a step. I encourage you. If you've got any of that trash in your background, things that the enemy was destroying, let us pray for you. And if it needs to be private, absolutely. Absolutely. But God wants to do amazing things through you. My mom's funeral was in the bar. Pastor came and did mom's funeral in the bar. And that's because the Lord took me back. He took me out of that stuff, healed me up, got me strong, and then sent me back to the people who lived those same kind of lives. And my mother's funeral ended up being the bar. That's a weird thing, but it's, uh, it was amazing. Amazing. And God will do that. He'll do amazing things through you. He won't send you back to the places where you don't belong. If you don't belong there. He will not do that. He will not force you. But he will move you on to new things. Great things. But you have to get the old stuff out. And that's what we're here for. To help. So, we have different people up here that have different... Um, different ways of seeing things but as I was praying about the pain and the trauma I see things maybe you haven't been through the things that you would consider severe trauma maybe you haven't been sexually abused or emotionally abused physically abused by your parents or by someone you know but maybe you have just a pain that is maybe it's been repeated maybe it's been just stuck in there deep and you think well that's not really trauma other people have been through other things other people have been through much worse than I have but if there's something that's affecting you that's pain like that it's coming out and it's coming out in like just like it's trauma it's the same thing so don't think this doesn't apply to me don't think God doesn't want to heal that because it's not big God wants us completely whole he wants us made completely whole physically spiritually mentally emotionally Everything that's in us, he wants wholeness, and he wants to set us free. And so if you're drawn to someone in particular, go, go to that person. But just know that just because it hasn't reached a level that you think is significant doesn't mean that it hasn't. God wants to heal you too. The best thing is get it when it's small. <laughs> Deal with it when it's small. And the other thing that I want to encourage you with is... Um, all of life is a process. Healing is a process. Miracles are what happen instantaneously. And it'd be great if God does a miracle in your life. But chances are he's going to do a healing. Which is going to take time. Alright, so let's pray. Why don't you stand with me?
Father, we come this morning before you. We come humbly. We come asking. We come repentant. Father, we have held a lot of things against you that you weren't a part of. It's the enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you've come that we might have life. Father, I pray this morning that we would open up our hearts to you in a new way. And as we open up our hearts, that we would begin to trust you in a new way. That we would trust you in a way that we never have before because we couldn't. Lord, I pray that you will pour out your spirit upon us and open up the eyes of our understanding, Father. And Lord, if there's something in us that is holding us back with a pure relationship, a truer relationship with you, we ask you to bring it to our attention that we might begin the process of being healed. Lord Jesus said that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. And so we ask you to reveal truth to us this morning. And then let us walk in the truth. That we would be able to walk in the freedom that you have for us. Father, I pray that you would heal the hurt and the pain. I pray that the light would shine in the darkness and in the dark rooms of our hearts. Let it shine, Father. And Lord, as your light shines, may there be healing. May there be strength. May there be peace. May there be restoration. Lord, we want to be a Romans 8.28 person to where we know that you work all things out for our good because we love you. And that means if you're going to work all things out for our good, there are a lot of things that haven't been good for, our, for us and in our lives, but you promised to change that. And Father, I thank you for the example of Joseph and how he went through the process and was transformed through the pain that he went through. And I, I pray, Father, that as you bring healing, that we would be the Romans... 828 and the Joseph type people who trust you. Who know that others may have meant it for evil, but you've meant it for good. For the saving of many. Father, have the freedom to work in us. Work in us, we have. And Father, I pray that you would grace us this morning and for the rest of our lives with the ability to be loved by you and to walk in that love. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.